0: And Take your Bibles with me if you will, there's one provided in the seat in front of you if you need one And let's look to First Timothy in the New Testament uh, Maybe three quarters of the way through the New Testament you'll find First Timothy chapter 5 And while you're looking there let me just pause and let's pray for a moment uh, There's some real issues in our world that certainly we need to be praying about, and I'm sure you already are. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have provided the Messiah, the great Christ that's been promised from the Old Testament, foretold all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, and proclaimed throughout the words of the prophets and the law and the hope that is expressed in the psalms and the wisdom passages made in a real revelation in Jesus Christ who came humbly and lived a life of righteousness that the one who knew no sin might for our sake take sin upon himself that we shed to him. And he died on Calvary's cross in order to rectify our souls. But he's also, as you know, Father, by your plan from the world long ago, even before the world was put in order, he is reconciling all things to himself. And in this broken world where COVID and disease is rampant, we pray for your mercy and your grace to be known, your strength and weakness to be perfected for your healing to be extended. Whether it's people who are battling in a continuous disease, or it's those who have just heard of the doctor's uh, proclamation, or it's sickness at home. God, we pray that the people who are in our area, in our state, in our country, and even throughout the world would come to know Jesus in the midst of their crises. And Lord, we pray specifically for people that we know and love for your healing touch to be given to them. There are some battling cancers and some battling in other ways. God, we pray for your mercy to be extended with a healing touch. And Lord, we pray for the Christians around the world who are experiencing great persecution At the hands of the pawns of Satan, God, we pray that they would find courage and truth and in the moment when they need it, your word would come to their lips and be expressed and your testimony would be glorious in that moment. And though they might have their lives taken, nothing can rob them of their soul. Nothing can take away the life that is eternal. So we pray, Lord, you would give them courage in that moment. But we also pray, God, for your miraculous movement among the Afghans and others who are dealing with great consequence of a world that has gone awry. Who seeks after gods that are not true who hear prophets who are liars. God, we pray for the people who are inundated with such evil that you would rescue them from their plight and help us as a nation who knows you to come alongside of them and to encourage them, to support them and to pray for them and bring them into our country and homes. We might love them, draw near to them we pray this because Jesus has told us to love those in such places, and to love our brothers and sisters and even love our enemies. So even in this, to God be the glory. May Jesus be proclaimed, it's in His name, I pray. Amen. Well, grateful uh, Matt and Fisher for bringing your friends and your teammates. Uh, we're expecting two things from you. We're expecting you to have a winning season and we're expecting you to demonstrate well the cause of Christ and to live your life in that way. I'm thankful for coaches and teachers and administrators who really take seriously investing in our younger generation. All right, so we're in uh, Timothy's words that are written to, uh, Paul's words that are written to Timothy, this young pastor. He's in his 30s and uh, learning how to pastor a church, and Timothy is, is hearing the words of his mentor to him. And that's what this letter is all about. And so we're in chapter 5. We've been talking about widows and our care for them and the ministry that women are to have. And today, uh, he's going a step further, and he's talking about the ministry of the church of, that pastors have and how the congregation and the pastors relate together. So let's read together God's Word. I'll begin in verse 17, and we'll go to the end of the chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, let the elders, and that, that word for us, elders, uh, overseers, pastors, uh, those are words that are interchangeably used in the New Testament. Uh, so he's talking about people that you would call most uh, pastors. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scriptures say, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Verse 23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, let me just pause here for a moment. I'm not going to address that in the the, uh, message itself, but we can't let that one go past. Not in a Baptist church, you can't let that one go past. (laughs) So what's going on here? Why is that uh, little bracket, verse 23, just doesn't seem to fit in what he's talking about? Well, but it does. So he says in verse 22, don't take part in the sins of others, keep yourself pure. Now, if you recall, over in chapter four, there were some who had departed from faith. Now, what, what is faith? Genuine faith. It's trusting that God has provided his son to take our sin upon himself. His righteousness made him the perfect substitutionary one for us. In our stead, our sin was placed on him. God's wrath was poured on Jesus and Jesus took all of that holy justice that was belonging to you and me and he dies with it. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus has taken our death upon himself, so we put our faith in Christ Jesus, who has already accomplished for our forgiveness. That's how we get pure. We don't get pure by cleaning up our life, cleaning up our mouth, cleaning up our drinking, cleaning up our eating. We get, we get righteousness as a gift of God through Christ Jesus, and our faith is there. So he says at the end of that verse 22, keep yourself pure. Now, over in chapter 4, remember there were some who departed from the faith through asceticism. They were saying, really, if you want to be pure, you're going to have to do away with some things. In fact, they were told to do away with marriage, just forsake marriage, just don't even be married. Uh, make sure you don't eat these foods and you don't drink these drinks. And they were putting rules and restrictions that God had not placed on people. And the thought was that if you live a chaste life, like super chaste life, that you could actually walk in purity. That's walking away from faith. And so he's saying to Timothy, don't walk away from faith. And by the way, Timothy, your stomach is troubled And if you will, drink a little wine for your troubled stomach. They didn't have water purification like we have today. And a fermented drink had less bacteria than an unfermented drink. So take a little wine for your stomach. And he's saying to him, if you've been attempting to live a life of purity by abstaining from that, and by doing so, you're not well, then you need to rethink that. So when he's saying... don't don't take much. He's already told him that. He's already told him, don't be drunk with wine. But he's saying, take a little wine for your stomach. Does that make sense? Everybody good? Everybody still Baptist in the house? Okay. So no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also the good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Now, as the Lord is my witness, I come to this text without pretense. I don't come with any expectation. I have no motive in teaching this passage that will benefit me. I'm doing it because we are walking through, verse by verse, through this book in the Bible you might say, well, Randy, I think what you really have in mind is you want more recognition and you want more pay. And I'm here to say, as God is my witness, I am content. You provide very well for me and I'm grateful. So I'm not coming to you asking for anything, nor am I asking that our staff receive anything. You're continuing to offer them life and life is good uh, with your provision. Meadowbrook has proven over the Two decades that I've been here to be wonderfully generous and incredibly faithful people. It's evident in how you have treated me and my family with love and honor and care and affection and respect. So throughout my years here, you have honored God by the way you have honored me, and I have attempted to honor God by the way I lead and communicate to you. That's that's sort of the way we live in relationship together. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means that that's our movement towards So the way the church cares for and treats its staff, I think at Meadowbrook is a model for the way other churches ought to do the same. And I put you up on that kind of pedestal. When I talk to my pastor friends about you, it's good. And I tell them, man, I wish everybody had a church to serve like me because you are a blessing to me. And Hebrews says that to a congregation hebrews says now listen live your life in a way that does good for them let be a joy for your pastors that they're serving you you are my joy you are you are so deeply rooted in my life and my family's life and the, the memories and the experiences that i have and what i'm anticipating is good and i'm thankful for that So today's passage is really addressing that kind of relationship. How how should the pastor and the congregation relate to one another? Uh, How should we know when it's good? And what do we do if it's not good? What do we do if it's sort of coming off the tracks? This passage is dealing with that. I'm going to make three points today. And the first is found on the screens or it's in your handout. Pastors should work doubly hard to lead and preach well while congregations should honor and pay the leader's who do so very well. So, you should expect some things from me. And what should you expect from me and the other pastors here? You should expect us to be good leaders and good communicators of biblical truth. And good communicating is not just the, the natural skill and ability that you've been honing as a communicator, but it's that you're rightly dividing the truth. That what you're hearing from me from God's word is truthful and it's measurable. And then I'm communicating it in the best way that I know how, given the gifts that God has given to me. And you deserve to have a rightly divided biblical message. Every time we get up to preach, you ought to not wonder, is this going to be accurate to God's word? You should deserve, and you do deserve, that we would rightly divide God's truth and that you would see that truth lived out in us. So a good leader as a pastor is one who, communicates well, and he lives out the expression of his communications. Now, I try to be very authentic before you, not putting myself up as if I've got it all handled. I don't have. In fact, there's times that I say, Lord, I feel like this thing is just barely glued together and it is coming apart, and I need you. I need your direction. I need you to hold this thing together. But according to the Bible, pastors ought to be working doubly hard laboring double what does he mean by that i think what it means is that our effort ought to be given both to good leadership and good communicating of biblical truth and so there ought to be a double effort to that and when you find that that's worthy of honor that's worthy of respect where you find people who are willing to live life in that way now the word honor in the original language of the bible is teme, and it it, it has more than than just respect, it has some value to it. uh, Oftentimes it can be talked about in a monetary way. So he's saying both a, a respect and attitude and a support that you give. Honor those people who are working hard, eagerly working through exhaustion. Honor them when they communicate well and when they lead well. And the congregation ought to be doing that, looking forward to that. Uh, When I'm gone, and I'm going to be gone at some point, I hope it's because God has taken the breath out of me, not because you pushed me out of here, but one day I'm going to be gone, and your next pastor or pastors are going to come in, and I want you to do the same thing for them. Expect from them to work hard, to be a good leader, a good communicator, to live out the expression of the word and preach the word truthfully, and then honor them. Pastors ought to seek to honor the Lord and the congregation through hard work and in return, a church honors the Lord by giving respect to their pastors. So churches really should find it easy to honor their pastors because their pastors are put in place by the head of the church, Jesus Christ. He's put them in place as under-shepherds to care for and tend and oversee and to feed well the congregation. So you probably find it pretty easy to honor people who Christ has put in position like that. The pastor is worthy of honor, especially if he doesn't rely on the natural abilities or charisma that he may have in personality, but he relies on God. He relies on the Spirit of God and the Word of God. I'm going to do the very best that I can do, but I have a greater expectation than what I can do in leadership or communication. I'm expecting the Spirit of God to amplify the ministry, both in leadership and in His Word. If you're thinking that I'm going to be able to create change, or if I'm thinking that we are off, but I do know the Spirit of God works in the hearts of people to create and to develop change. I know that to be true because sometimes when I'm speaking, after it's over with, somebody will say, oh, Pastor, when you said this, God spoke to me and it just changed the way I'm thinking and it's gonna change the way I'm living. And honest, I walk away from some of those conversations thinking, I didn't even say that. If I said that, I didn't intend to say that. But the spirit of God has empowered that individual to take that truth and impregnate their heart and mind with life so that they might live as Christ would call them to live. Now, I respect God's call and I respect the position of pastor and I respect you too much. to not be disciplined. Diligent and disciplined to be a good leader and a good communicator. I am not the best, by far, I am not the best, but I can tell you this I'm disciplined. I'm disciplined to study, to show myself approved. I'm disciplined with some fear, knowing that if I stand before you and say, Thus saith the Lord God, I'm accountable to that. And I want to do that well. And I know you and the maturity that this church is and how you honor your pastors and love the Lord. And I'm grateful that we're in relationship together. I want to say thank you for the way that you have provided for Meadowbrook and its staff and the pastors who serve here, both the lay pastors and those who are employed. You have allowed us to devote our lives to leading and teaching God's word. We haven't had to concern ourselves with making an income. You've provided the income for us so that we can move ourselves towards fulfilling the call of God that he's given to us, and I thank you for that. Your provision for the Meadowbrook pastors fulfills the words of Moses and Jesus that Paul has quoted in this text that we've read today. Here's what he says. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now, he's not calling me an ox or anybody else on staff. "'You shall not muzzle the ox "'while it's treading out the grain.'" And that's that's the words of Moses in a couple of different places. And then he quotes Jesus by saying, "'The laborer deserves his wages.'" And what he's talking about there is an ox is one who is hitched to a post that is pulling over the grain a millstone. I've seen those ancient millstones in the Middle East and Israel. I saw how heavy and massive those things are, and the ox is moving it over the corn or the grain, and it's crushing that grain to make flour. And Moses said to the people, when the ox is doing that, don't keep him from eating. Don't muzzle him. Let him eat what he wants. He's doing the work for you. Let him eat. I don't know about you, but I'm into the modern mechanics of not having ox drool coming on the grain as he's pressing it out. But Moses didn't have what we have, so he says, let him eat it and let him continue that work. And Jesus said it a little differently in his day. He said, when the laborers go out and they're bringing in the harvest, let them have their pay from the harvest. And the ones who are working for harvest ought to receive from the harvest. And that's what he's mentioning this to timothy for to make sure that this is being understood to the church the ones who are bringing in the spiritual harvest of christ let them have their pay let them have their work so that they can continue in that harvest and honor them by that so Meadowbrook's pastors are bringing in a spiritual harvest alongside of you and that's what good leadership is meant to be that's what messages and lessons and writings are meant to be they're meant to bring in a spiritual harvest I'm not here to teach us good news about uh, some historical fact I'm not here to just tell you interesting information I'm here to bring transformation from God's Word a spiritual harvest something that changes Changes us to come to the text believing that God is going to create change that spiritual harvest so I praise the Lord for filling this church with generous honoring faithful people who see that they ought to honor and respect and pay the pastors who God has called to serve so pastors ought to be working hard doubly hard and churches ought to be honoring their pastors but let's go on to that second point Pastors are not above being disciplined for dishonorable work, but the congregation must be cautious, courageous, and unbiased when they discipline. All right, let me first say, no church is perfect, but Jesus Christ is perfecting all true churches. You shouldn't expect any church to be perfect, but you should expect the perfecting work of Christ in us. So you could say it in another way. It's okay for you not to be okay. It's not okay for you to stay that way. You ought to have an expectation that God is bringing a transformation through the power of his Holy Spirit and his word. So you don't expect Meadowbrook to be perfect, but you ought to be expecting the perfecting work of the Holy Spirit to be very evident in all of us. No student of the Bible or genuine follower of Jesus Christ should discount God's church. And this is where some people miss it. They say, well, the church is filled with imperfect people and they begin to discount the church and pull away from that. And I'm here to say it is biblically not plausible that you would call yourself a student of the Bible or a follower of Jesus Christ and discount the church. Maybe you're on the fence about this. Maybe you're wanting to draw near to Christ and you're hearing somebody say, well, you don't have to be part of the church. That's a foreign concept to the biblical truth that you hold in your hands. If you're a follower of Christ, you must be connected to the church. And the 10th chapter of Hebrews says, you ought not even forsake gathering together. You ought to make sure you do come together. So the church is just vitally important. And why is that so? Well, if you just look back through the scripture, you'll note how important the church is. The church is the only organization that Jesus Christ put together. There is no other organization. Jesus says, this is the way I'm gonna organize so that people might be my body and that my word might go out. The church represents the body of Christ. You wanna know where Jesus is? I'll tell you where he is. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father on his throne and he's present in the church today all around Ottawa County. And that's who we are. We are the body of Christ. We have the spirit of Christ dwelling within us if we are living in faith in him and we exude him in our words and our attitudes and our actions we are the body of christ and the church is made alive and empowered by the holy spirit now there's a lot of great organizations a lot of good organizations that do wonderful work but there is only one who is empowered by the spirit of the living god and it's the church so don't discount what God has empowered. We are the means by which the world will be changed. The effective work of the church by the power of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of his word. Among all the creation in heaven and on earth, the God, God has chosen the church to possess and to proclaim his word. The church is the one who holds the word of God and proclaims it. The church is the only means by which God will bring unity and where there is division among uh, nations and tribes and tongues and ethnicities, if you wanna know the answer of all the division that's going on in culture, it's the church. You come into the church and the Lord says this, it's not about white or black or brown or yellow, male or female, Jew or Gentile, you are made new in the church. This is how we are unified together. And The church bring, uh, is God's answer for all the division. Only the church can receive the promises of God that the forces of hell will not stand against us and stop us from the movement of the Spirit of God. The church is the only part of creation that survives God's judgment. There's a day of co- that's coming where everything is gonna be burned away and all things are gonna be made new. Can I just remind you, it will be the church that will remain god's word and the church so if you're discounting the church because you think there's imperfect people in the church i want to remind you yes there's imperfect people in the church and the spirit of god is wanting to make them perfect by his holy work in them the church is powerful it's strong it's capable it's doable come and join us and be the change for the world by the empowerment of the spirit of god in you I understand why some people struggle with imperfect people, making up the body of the membership, but I don't understand why you would reject what God values so much. If you or I had shortness of breath and we were having chest pains, we would be a fool to discount being admitted into the hospital by thinking there is sick people in the hospital. And if you're judged and damned to hell you'd be a fool to not come into the place where you say there are sinners. So come join us. Be made new in Jesus Christ. Let the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit begin a new work in you, making you holy know along the way that there are going to be imposters here There are going to be people who sound like us talk like us claim to be things like us but they are not Jesus said it would be that way that the enemy would come in and plant weeds among the wheat he said let it grow in the end when the harvest comes he would be the one to divide it out there will always be goats among the sheep but in the end Jesus says I'll divide them out Just come and connect and have faith and be engaged and do ministry and keep your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. Join us at Meadowbrook. We want to make a difference both in this community and in our state and in our nation and around the world. We want to make an impact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the membership of Meadowbrook, including its pastors far from perfect, but i can tell you this we are connected to christ by faith and he is transforming us into his likeness and one day we will be brought into his presence and he will make us gloriously sinless like he is that's what we're marching towards look at uh, ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 and listen to the promise of this christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her with the, by the washing of water with the word that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So although there are people who gather here who are not in Christ, Most of us in this room have trusted in him and our lives are surrendered to him. And by God's grace, he has forgiven us of our sin. He's paid the penalty for our sin, bearing God's holy wrath that is just. And on the cross, Jesus became that perfect substitute for us. For our sake, as I've already said, he made the one who knew no sin to be sin so that we might have the righteousness of God in him jesus christ has saved us from sin he saved us from death and he saved us from judgment but his work doesn't end there it continues he is sanctifying us what does that mean he is making us holy he is working in us holiness he's working in us the saints of god his word and he's placing before us elders and others who live out this word so that we might walk in the way of christ So one of the primary ways that God is making us holy is through this word of his, this Bible, and he's using that word to point out our sin and to draw us to faith in the one who can bring this word alive in us. And the spirit of God who will dwell in those who are by faith, he is making us to be holy and calling us to be holy. He's pointing out where we're not holy and calling us to be who we are in Jesus Christ. And he puts before us pastors and others who are living holy lives that we might learn to live as they are living that's how god is working in us and the apostle paul knew this well he instructed the church at corinth be imitators of me as i am imitating christ as i'm living in christ and for christ and modeling who christ is live as i am now that's not being audacious Instead, that's bearing forth this gospel message that God is changing him. Now keep in mind that he is very well balanced in the way he sees himself. As he sees himself, as we already read back in the first chapter, verse 15, he sees himself as a chief of sinners. He understands without Jesus Christ, that's his position, the chief of sinners, but with Christ Jesus, he's totally different. He's been transformed. With the Spirit of God, he's different. The Spirit of God is bringing to his mind all the teachings of Christ and helping him to live out those teachings before other people. That's the reason why he can say, I used to be the chief of sinners. Now I am the saint of God by Christ Jesus. Watch me live as I am imitating Christ. And as you see me live, so you should live. And God has given us by his grace many a model like that. Lay people and staff people and others who just live out their life as Christ is in them. And we can follow hard after them. He lived authentically and so should you and me. This is the way all Christians should live. Living as Christ lived. Living the life of Christ. But there should be a great expression of that in the pastors the pastors must live their lives as christ lived with the attitudes and the words and the ways and the purposes of jesus christ and that's the reason why you ought to demand that of us that's the reason why you ought to discipline us if you don't see that happening now i'll unpack that what that looks like But no one expects pastors to be sinless. But I can tell you this, the church should expect pastors not to remain in sin. So I don't expect you to be sinless, but I do expect you to be repentant of your sin. And you should expect no less, in fact, you should expect more of me and the other pastors of this church. Meadowbrook's pastors are to live holy lives. According to 1 Timothy chapter 3, he gives us the measure of that kind of life. In fact, if you go back to that, beginning in verse 2, these are the sort of the boundaries by which the pastors ought to be living in as overseers. Uh, they ought not be addicted to much wine, he says. They they ought to be above reproach. Nobody ought to be able to say things against them that are truthful. You ought to be singularly devoted to one woman, sober minded, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. You got to manage your household well, keep your children in submission. Uh, He must be not a recent convert. Uh, moreover he must be thought of well by outsider I and mean, those are the those are the ways in which you know a pastor and that's the way in which pastors ought to be living and so where i might be outside those boundaries that are established by scripture or any other pastor might be out of that boundary you ought not just accept that as the way it is it's not okay to stay in that position Instead, you ought to find us quick to repentance. Sinless, not gonna happen yet. I still have the flesh that I was born in. That flesh is riddled with sin. But you should expect that I would not remain in sin. So all Christians should live authentically. Pastors leading the way to live out that authentic life. The character and the integrity of the, or, and the reputation of a pastor is just so crucial to my ministry. In fact, if you can discount my character or my integrity or my reputation, my witness and my friends, you can discount my entire ministry. Everything of my ministry is banked on that. So it's my duty to make sure, and the pastors of this church, make sure that we are guarding character and integrity and reputation it's just an absolute duty of ours because if I lose face in, in those ways, I will potentially lose my ministry. Does that make sense? You've gotta, you've gotta be aggressive if you're a pastor to be full of integrity and full of character and full of good reputation, All right, So you should expect that we're doing that. And I should expect no less the same from you, that you also would ret- respect my character and defend my integrity and hold to bear the reputation that i have what does that mean well according to paul to timothy don't let somebody just say something about a pastor unless there's others that can concur don't let somebody start talking about the pastor Listen to that, whisper that little rumor and let it go throughout the congregation. Why? Because the pastor's character and integrity and reputation is his ministry. And when you start being able or lying about or suspecting, and it's not true, you can bring great harm to that pastor and the call of God and the church of Jesus Christ. So he's giving some border, some boundary by which If there's discipline, you've got to go about it in the right way. And what's the right way? Well, Jesus has already given us the way that we do this. And in fact, it's for all of us in the congregation. It's not just singling out pastors, but everybody in the congregation. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Uh, by the way taken out of context that that passage would go on to explain or that truth would go on to explain that where two or more are gathered in his name there he is the context is in discipline the context is in when you're trying to identify help somebody identify a sin in their life that they might walk in repentance don't don't use that verse in a way that oh we're coming together two or three of us and god is here and we're going to proclaim this and whatever we're proclaiming god's going to do hogwash unless that's in line, alignment with the will of god and the word of god you are wasting your breath and when i come off the tracks and go down a little rabbit trail like that sometimes i get in real trouble hopefully i'm not in trouble and you thinking randy This is a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. So he's saying to all the congregation, give a process towards repentance. Give your pastors the same process that the entire congregation enjoys at the command of Jesus. Don't be quick to concur because somebody is talking ill about somebody else, especially pastors, because the pastor's character is his ministry So if someone impugns the character, then they harm his ministry. So Jesus is saying through Paul to Timothy, to the congregation, make sure what is outlined by Jesus, who is the head of the church, make sure that's followed even to your pastors. So I may have been stumbling like a drunk man the last week or so. Anybody talk to you about that? Anybody say to you, the pastor's uh, seemingly drunk? Uh, it was something with my eyesight. I just couldn't see well, and I kept complaining about that. I couldn't see clearly, especially those objects that were real close to me, even though I had just put in brand new contact lens. You know, when you order contacts, for me, I change them out every month, or I'm supposed to change them out every month, and you get six orders of those and you just go to your drawer you pull out the next one you pop them in and that's exactly what i did but for about a week i was just really having trouble i think finally cages was growing tired of me talking about me not being able to see not being able to read especially anything close to me I, i just couldn't get it she said randy just go throw them away pull out another set pop them in see if it makes a difference so I went to the bathroom and pulled out the drawer and I pulled my contacts out and I had more left contacts than I had right contacts. Which means for over a week, I had been using a contact in my left eye that was the wrong prescription. No wonder I couldn't see. But now suppose you saw me struggling to see and you thought, man, that guy looks drunk. And in your suspicion of me being drunk, you dishonor me by not asking me about the situation. Jesus says, go to him one-on-one. But instead of honoring me in that way, you talk to somebody else about it. And the suspicion of drunkenness after it goes through two or three mouths and ears gets to, I was wasted. Now, suppose that you actually saw me drunk and you confronted me in my sin and I responded with confession and repentance. Jesus says, that's good because not only have you saved him, but you've saved his ministry potentially. Now, suppose I denied it. Here's what Jesus says, bring one or two other people with you next time. And go to him, bear forth the evidence so that you're convincing him, so his heart is changed, and he makes confession, and he's repentant. But now, just for the sake of this little illustration, let's say that doesn't happen either, and I reject it, I deny it, I lie my way through it, or at least I attempt to. Then here's what's required of you you've got to be courageous. You've got to be unbiased. You bring it to the church. Why? Why not just sweep it under the carpet? You bring it to the church because the integrity of Christ and his church is more important than mine or anybody else. The integrity of this church and the name of Christ is more important than somebody who's going to lie in his sin. So bring it to the church bear it forward and i think god is honored in that now listen to me i'm going to do everything that i can to make it where you'll never have to have that kind of decision i'm going to do all that i can to walk in a way that pleases you and pleases our lord and honors you and honors him and if i fall and i probably will Somebody will love me enough to come to me. And you'll tell me about that. And by God's grace and with the humbleness that the Spirit of God is working in me as part of his fruit, I'll hear you and I'll make confession to you and I'll change the way I'm living. I want all of our pastors that way. We, we have such a group of pastors in this place. I can tell you there is no better staff to work with than this staff They are full of integrity. They are full of good character. They long to honor Christ. Man, do they ever love you. I'm grateful for them. But you ought to respect them enough to not talk about them. Respect them enough and honor them to pay them, to provide for them. And if you find that there's sin in their life, go to them one-on-one address it with them and if they deny it come to me or somebody else and we'll go together to them and we'll try to rescue them and rescue the ministry and we'll move forward in that that's the second part of this passage what about the third and the final part it won't take us long to go through it it's this pastors should not be appointed hurriedly and without prayerful discernment here's what he says in verse 22 Do not be hasty in laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. I'm just going to throw this out here very succinctly. The best way to protect the church from bad leaders is not to put them in the place of leadership to begin with. Be slow about it. Don't be quick about it. I can tell you I've been too quick before. And I've seen it come off the track before. And it's hurtful. It's hurtful to everybody involved and it's hurtful to to the church and it's hurtful to Christ. And I don't wanna be part of that. The church should not rush to ordain someone, but we should be deliberate and prayerful and slow about it. The church must know the individual and ask questions to determine someone's character and theology and with prayer, questioning and careful attention, you can discern the good works of, Or the sinfulness of an individual and if the church doesn't examine the person carefully and the person proves to be unworthy of the calling here's what paul says you too take part in the sin and the failure of that pastor so you can't just say oh he was ordained and he he didn't prove out to be who we thought he was no no you are part of that too and so am i it's so important that we engage in that measure as we're bringing people to be our pastors so in conclusion pastors ought to work hard work doubly hard the word there is to exhaustion and through it and that work ought to be evident towards good leadership and good biblical truth taught and churches ought to choose their pastors well and the pastors they choose, they ought to honor them fully. I'm grateful for you. I've asked a couple of men to come and pray as we conclude this part of the service and move towards a time to respond. Matt Fyke, who is our pastor, who helps us engage students and their families. I've asked him to come and pray on behalf of our pastors at this church. And I've asked Brad Lowe, who's chairman of our deacons, to pray for our congregation. Let's engage in prayer as we just take this word and communicate to the Lord about it. Would you join me in prayer?
1: Father God, I just thank you for what a privilege and honor it is to be able to serve you and serve this congregation here as a pastor. Father, we just pray that, one, for all of us, that we would be those who lead well, and seek to be faithful, God, in the way that we lead um, our flock and the flocks that we oversee. I pray that we would be those, God, who are disciplined in our study and our proclamation of your word, that we would ensure with great fear, God, and reverence that we proclaim the truth of what you truly say. God, let us hate sin and battle it daily. And be setting the example of what it means to pursue holiness, God. And to see what it truly means to be growing deeper in our knowledge and understanding of you. And Father, more than anything, I just pray that we would grow so much deeper in our love for you. And our love of others, our families, and this congregation. We pray this in the name of Jesus.
2: Father, we come before you and as, a, as the gathering of the saints here that, that once again we will not forsake that opportunity and Lord that we will esteem those that are placed before us as, as lay shepherds in front of us in high honor that we would do so by taking the biblical truths that you give us each and every time that we're here that as the words lift off the page to us and speak to us each and every time that we would just not leave it in that seat that the prayers and the songs that we sing to glorify you to raise our hands in praise that we wouldn't leave that on this side of the door that we would hold those that are placed in front of us in high esteem and high regard that we would honor them Lord with what we do that we would take those things and we would take them out into the community and among each other because oftentimes the biggest blessings that you bestow upon us are through others So I ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us, each and every one of us as a congregation, Lord, that it would speak to us, that we would join them in their ministry, that we would search our hearts, that we would be moved by the Spirit to use our spiritual gifts within the church to join them in that ministry. And so I pray these things in your name. Amen.
0: Amen.